Welcome to Six in the Mix. Yo, when this flock comes to talk, pull a chair and prepare. We have six in the mix. When we speak, it's unique. Varied views, no excuse for the news to be void of some fun and the truth. Word. We are a band of brothers who met and bonded in college. After starting families and branching out across the United States, we are coming back together to strengthen our relationships through the podcast platform. We call ourselves Six in the Mix, talking faith, family, sports, and politics. Join us on our journey. We've got a full Six in the Mix for episode 22. Just a reminder, please drop comments and topic suggestions on our Facebook page, Six in the Mix Podcast, or on our Twitter page at Six in the Mix Pod. We would love to hear from you, uh, engage with uh, some of your ideas, comments, suggestions. Uh, We certainly have some, but would love to have uh, your input as well. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the executive orders uh, that President Biden uh, has put in place. As always, we'll have our Six in the Mix trivia. We're going to talk about some favorite presidents during Calling Your Shot. Ben, as always, will bring us Feel Good Story of the Week, and uh, I'll lead out in Fix Your Eyes. So I'm going to turn it over to Jeremy to start us off. All right, gents. We all would say human life is extremely important because the fact that we are made in the image of God. And life is amazing, as we all have experienced that unbelievable time where we were in the delivery room and we watched our wives bring birth to our kids, and what an amazing thing that was. And I am more and more disturbed, honestly, how our how our country and really how the world views the sanctity of life and, and where that's going. And many don't believe that life exists at conception, and, and I understand. Uh, many don't believe that there's a God and the giver uh, who is the giver and sustainer of life. And many are canceling, to use a, a new word uh, in my vocabulary, canceling the foundations, the very essence that life is even sacred at all. And I know some of the listeners know that my wife and I have adopted kids. We also have biological children as well. So we've seen both sides of that. And we're glad that our adopted three had a mom who actually, you know, kept her kids. I mean, she could have chosen uh, abortion. She could have gotten rid of uh, them in that way. Uh, But they are such a blessing to us. And we are, you know, forever grateful. And we don't we don't really see them as adopted necessarily. I mean, they, they are. But but we see them more as just, you know, our kids. They're, they're our children. So we're thankful for life and, and what they bring to our family, our church, our community. And, and I would just say that life is important. And I want to share uh, some things that uh, our president, uh, Joe Biden, is doing and will be doing uh, with some, some executive orders. Now, I have to, I have to let you know. I I was completely ignorant, had no idea that former administrations all the way back to like 19 in the 1970s at some point had this policy in place. But the policy is called the Mexico City policy. And it's sometimes referred to as uh, the global gag rule. It's a United States government policy that blocks U.S. federal funding for non-governmental organizations that provide abortion counseling or referrals, advocate to decriminalize abortion or to expand abortion services. Dr. Fauci went on 
public television not too long ago with with prepared statements. And he basically said, hey, we're going to join back with the World Health Organization. And we are now going to take that ban off of federal tax dollars that are given to other countries to the hundreds of millions of dollars in order that now these non-governmental agencies in some of these other countries can now use those funds to allow um, for abortions in in all kinds of in all kinds of ways um, in different countries that uh, we have no jurisdiction over at all. So Biden is going to support this executive order. I don't know that it's actually signed in. I know that he signed in uh, back with the World Health Organization, and I'm not sure. I have not been able to find the actual fine details whether this is in that or not. Um, I'm still researching and waiting for that. But I, I just want to say that, you know, the sanctity of life, Roe v. Wade, January 22nd, 1973, has just uh, passed. And we uh, would identify with the fact that life is important. Life begins at conception. Life is is to be treasured. And so my question tonight, and, and maybe more discussion from you guys, is how do we keep the sanctity of life, the, the importance of life, in front of our families? What what mechanisms do we have to do that so that our kids don't grow up with just this kind of laissez-faire, maybe attitude and, and uh, just kind of a non-committal attitude about, about the sanctity of life? And then how do we teach the importance of this to our kids? Uh, and then just general comments of sanctity of life. So I'm going to turn it over to you guys to kind of discuss this and talk about it. I've kind of given you a little bit of my heart and where I'm at, but how do you keep this in front of your families? What, what are things that you do? I know church Churches talk about it. I know some, you know, schools and, and things like that in the home. But what what do you guys do? What what do you? How do you put in the importance of this uh, into your homes and into your children? Quick question for you, Jeremy, because you've done some study on this. What is what is the United States interest in doing that? I mean, what do they gain by that? That's a good question. So, from what I understand, is this policy basically flip flops whether you're a Democrat or Republican. So the Republicans flip it back so they can't use it for these types of purposes. The Democrats come back in and they flip it back and say, open it up. So when when the previous administration was in office, um, they they allowed not just 530 some million, it was like $8.8 billion to help with um, getting kids health benefits, checkups, to encourage life so that, so that you know, these these kids were able to be born to be able to sustain life. And we were given way more money to support life, to support doctor checkups, to support all these things, which I think is great. You know, I'd rather my my federal tax dollars go to help something like that than to just say carte blanche. Hey, anybody, you know, uh, and I don't even know the country, so I'm not going to name a country, but you guys want to uh, be able to, you know, have an abortion clinic now. Well, these federal funds are now going to be able to go to that. And you guys can now have medicines, you can have doctors, you can have um, equipment, and you can start, you know, um, your abortion clinic just like that. So, I think it flip-flops back and forth. And and again, I, it shows how ignorant I have been on this topic. And it really stung me bad because here I am and I'm a supporter of life. And yet I don't know what our government's doing about this stuff. And and I know what our local people are doing. And I, I support, um, you know, Wisconsin Family Council who supports life and the sanctity of life and is all about these, um, these you know, days where we go to the Capitol and we celebrate those things and we do it publicly. But yet 
I had no idea that billions of dollars, millions of dollars were going to this stuff. And I had no clue. I just think there needs to be some education out there, right? I mean, it's hidden in all this, all the red tape. Like, all we hear is World Health Organization. Well, what does that mean? Well, what what that means is somebody's taking my voice and saying, "No, you know what? We're going to destroy life before it before that life can have a chance. We're going to destroy it because really, that's going to help some of the other problems that we have." whether it's immigration or any of these other things. So I don't know if that answered your question, but just to give you kind of an idea of what's going on out there and what this administration is putting in place. And I think the VP is also um, kind of, you know, very much pro-abortion and, and ready to, to, you know, champion for some of these causes. And, and I just disagree, 100% disagree with that. So how do you guys, you know, in your own minds, uh, how do you guys do this in your families or your churches, your communities? What, what, what are you guys, you know, how are you involved? Well, I think well, one of the things that um, Jen and I had talked about doing, and, and actually Jen had a, uh, a, a night out with one of my daughters, uh, my oldest daughter, and uh, she actually took her, this was about a year ago, she took her to that um, movie uh, called Unplanned, came out in 2019. It's a, it's a, Christian film. It was released out in limited theaters and uh, throughout the nation. And it's actually an anti-abortion film. It follows the life of uh, somebody by the name of Abby Johnson, who uh, was actually a clinic director for Planned Parenthood and then transitioned out of that to be an anti-abortion activist. And uh, it's a pretty powerful film. Um, definitely would not recommend it to younger audiences, uh, but definitely, you know, when you're at that stage where these are conversations that need to happen and um, need to be addressed, and it uh, left a huge impact on my uh, on my daughter and and my wife for that matter, uh, they both left crying, of course. But I mean, it's it was a powerful film and it had some powerful images in it. And uh, but um, I think you know when we started talking about it, I think that's one of the main things that we as a family are are trying to do. Um, we're also, I, I wanted to uh, talk about it at the next time we gather around the dinner table. I was planning on talk, telling them uh, about the uh, South Dakota governor who uh, is actually going to be proposing a bill uh, to her state legislature, Governor Christy Noem. She's going to be uh, putting out a bill that will outlaw abortion on the basis of, of a Down syndrome in diagnosis. So, you know, there's champion for life uh, working uh, for um, you know, on the right side of things. So, um, you know, just making those things uh, aware, you know, bringing them out there, bringing them up, letting our kids know that this is something that's very real, something that happens more than we'd like to think it does, providing them with uh, with tools and and also information that's that's truth. Yeah, I appreciate that, Don. I, Amber and I did see that as well. And you, you're, I think the word "powerful" is an understatement with uh, with that film. That was a that was a terrific education and a deeply moving testimony from that woman who who left that prominent position to take the side of championing for life. And and you know, it just makes me very sad. And very disappointed for all those who who still uh, hold that position on the other side, who would say, you know, it's 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 just not 
it's it's you know the mother's health is is more important which i understand mother's health are important and i'm not trying to say that but but the baby's life is also important and um to have that uh, any other comments that come to uh to mind for any, from any of you guys well, Jeremy, I, I have kind of a, a wide variety of thoughts on this, but, um, you know, I think one thing both you and Don alluded to, and I'm sure it's all on our minds, is these are just conversations we need to have with our children. Because if we aren't having these conversations with our children, someone else is. I saw a quote once that says, um, the next generation will be won by whoever wants it the most. So, you know, are we defending our beliefs? Or are we just not having those conversations and letting uh, popular culture or whatever influence our children and other other children that we ha- can have influence over? You know, and we're I, I think um, you know we definitely want to make sure we're grounding those things in a biblical truth perspective, which which I believe we are. I, I'm assuming all six of us are on the same page on this topic, right? I think you know. That being said, some other thoughts on this are just, you know, what my, my wife has a, a personal friend who's gone through an incredibly difficult situation and, and did make a difficult choice uh, in this particular topic. And there are some instances out there that is so incredibly difficult for us to kind of work through, right? So for the six of us, men to have this conversation it's a little bit touchy for me because i fear that you know i i mean yeah i i'm gonna stumble through my words here a little bit but just that you know that being that firsthand you know female who's who's trying to work through some incredibly difficult circumstance that that's a tough thing to do, right? And they are they are trying to make the right choice, and some of them are even professing Christians that are, and it's still incredibly difficult to to wrap around those circumstances. So, you know, I hesitate a little bit to make this a totally black and white issue, just because there are some really tough things out there that you have to work through. That that if I was in that position, man, I don't know what I would do. Um, so I know I would just throw in that wrinkle to this topic as well. But, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, we just need to have these conversations with our kids and we need to, to really base it off of, you know, the bedrock of truth that we all claim, uh, you know, from the Bible and sharing it from a, a biblical perspective. And yeah, so our kids, my kids are still not quite into that middle school age. So, you know, starting to have some of these conversations, we're starting at real basic. And then, you know, in the next few years, we'll start working into more, more details and those kind of things. But um, definitely something that is an important, one of the many very important topics to make sure that we have that discussion at home or on the table or wherever we're at. So our children can, can have that, um, can make, you know, hopefully, and at some point making you know, the beliefs that we try to share, the godly beliefs, claim them as their own beliefs um, and and based on the Bible. You know, that's what we're all hoping and praying for, right? Yeah, Ben, I appreciate that. To validate what you said, I you know, I know uh, several pregnancy uh, directors who have direct contact and even have struggled with some of these things themselves. And to know some of those circumstances that are just awful, that we can't even, we can't even wrap our minds around how heinous and awful uh, can be it but what that drives me to to pray for uh is 
the fact that I, I, I just pray that uh, morality and truth and God's standards would come back in play so that some of those things, and I know we can't just get the wickedness out of everybody. There's no way we can do that because there are going to be men who are going to rape women and who are going to do heinous things to them or children or whatever the case may be. And we can't, unfortunately, we can't stop that. We hate it. We, we, you know, we, we throw it to um, the wind as far as they're concerned, but there are difficult circumstances, but it just makes me want to pray more and more for Christ-like actions and morals and so that we don't have to deal with this. And that's what heaven's going to gain us. And until then, we're going to have to walk this fiery trial um, and, and these, these lanes that are, are not, they're not good at all um, and they're difficult. So I appreciate those comments very much. Anybody else want to comment on this before I turn it over to Matt? After the Bible, as far as sharing with the girls, kind of, you know, what does God say about really anything uh, but abortion? After after that, I, I always challenge them, go take a look at the historical context of how this, this came about, right? And, you know, let's go take a look at, at abortion and the legalization of abortion. What was the root of that? And, and again, if you go take a look at it, it's rooted in the very thing that the liberal, <laughs> the liberal folks say that they're against is racism. And, you know, it's targeted toward minority communities. And so what I try to do is say, hey, go, we, we want to create thinkers, right? We don't want to be like, okay, what does mom and dad say? I'm going to parrot that. No, they, they need to go think and go dive in and go check out the history. What's really going on? And I think the the movie you guys uh, have have referenced, I've not seen it, um, but I, I think it it's, might be a spur to go see it, is, is one to help kind of get the word out. What is this really all about? What is it really driving? And I think... To the extent that we can have conversations that help encourage you know, our children to think about this and think in a deep way, uh, but in a biblical way, uh, that's going to be very helpful. Yeah, I, appreciate, I appreciate those comments. And, you know, my, my thought here is because of that anniversary, again, I think it's important for us to you know, draw attention to and really celebrate life. I mean, I can't look at any of my kids, my children and say, man, I just I, I wish I would have made the other, an, another choice. I, I just can't do that. And I love the fact that, you know, as as difficult as it is to have a senior in high school in my my home, a sophomore in high school who thinks he's great, the greatest basketball player of all time in my home, a 11 year old who doesn't want to do anything but play football and cares less about handwriting uh, to the little ones that, uh, you know, really haven't come of age yet. I, I cannot trade their lives for for a single a single difference. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that we've been able to, to have them all, not just our bio kids, but uh, our adopted three as well, because they, they do finish uh, and fill out our family. We, we, are, we are one because of them. And um, we're, we're thankful for that. And it also brings into, you know, this, the spiritual side of things that we're adopted into God's family. You know, we are aliens and strangers from him. He gave us his full inheritance, the full right to be called children of God. And uh, that adoption, obviously, we all are part of and uh, we participate in. And someday uh, when we are with him, uh, we'll know the full essence of that as well. I, I can't imagine knowing what it is really like to be a son of God and then have all of those blessings with a sinless, uh, in a sinless state. That That's going to be something that I anticipate and look forward to very much. So Anyway, appreciate those comments, and uh, I'm going to throw it back to Matt. All right. Well, you guys know what time it is. 
That's right, six in the mix trivia. We're going to talk a little bit, uh, it's going to be kind of focused a little bit on presidential, uh, some presidential trivia, and then just kind of the state of where we're at um, with some music trivia. So uh, we will get into it. Again, name is your buzzer. Question number one, who was the only U.S. president to also serve as chief justice of the Supreme Court? Go ahead, Ryan. William Howard Taft. That would be correct. William Howard Taft. Anybody else know the answer to that question? I, I guess just knowing the history of Taft. I mean, I've I've studied him. I've taught on him. And he was, of course, known for his weight. He was a very heavy president. But then after politics, his, his buddy, who used to be his friend, Teddy Roosevelt, derailed him uh, when he ran for re-election. They they served together before, and then he got derailed by his buddy. And so he he found a nice uh, opportunity in the Supreme Court. So um, he stayed in government. Yeah, it's cool. As, as I was reading on him, and again, I don't have the history that you have, Ryan, but it seemed like his wife mainly wanted him to be president, and that's how he went after that. So the guy didn't even want to be president, which I, I think the guy's pretty talented. If he was able to become president and become a chief justice of the Supreme Court, uh, dude probably had some game. Yes. <laughs> All righty. Question number two. Who was the first president to be born in the United States? Hmm. So think about it. Ethan. Hmm. All right. Ethan, I was going to give some background, but hopefully Dr. Dobson has got it. Well, we'll see. I'm going to guess John Quincy Adams. Oh, that is a great guess. But unfortunately, that that is not correct. Yeah, think about it. Some of the early presidents obviously were not born in America because um, they had come over from uh, Great Britain. Any other thoughts? Who was the first president to be born in the United States? We want to give a crack, a shot. It's going back a little bit. In three. Ryan. Go ahead, Ryan. I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with uh, Andrew Jackson. That is not correct. Any other thoughts? Any other deep track presidents you guys have in mind? In three, two, one. It would be Martin Van Buren. Martin Van Buren, I believe, was born in in the early 1780s. Um, he was the first president that was actually born in the United States, which I believe is a prerequisite now uh, to become yeah. president. Where, right? where was be... he born? Did, did your uh, did your research divulge where he was born? I mean, other than the uh, U.S., well, I'm talking city. I do not know. I I will have to look that up. Good challenge, Jeremy. Good challenge. I don't have the location of where he was uh, where he was at. All right. One one point of one point of question regarding that question. Your your the phrasing of it you said was first president born in America. Yep. Who was the first president the question, to be born in the United States? Okay, born in the United States. In terms of are you t- when you were asking that were you referring to in the United States in terms of it being an actual country or in the physical geographic location? Because that that changes how the question's interpreted. Because Martin Van Buren was the first president born an American citizen, not a British subject. But he wasn't the first born in the geographic location of the United States. 
Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> Man, 2021 is just full of trivia challenges. <laughs> we're gonna throw the so Bernie, I'm not, throwing the Bernie flag. Here we go. Yeah, I uh, I don't have I don't have a whole lot to say, gang. I just because uh, again, yeah, I suppose those guys would have been, but yeah, they. I think uh, I could have been a a little bit clearer in that question. That's all right. I'm just clarifying it for my own for my own uh, yeah peace of mind. Yeah, but actually, since nobody got it right, that means I get the point. So actually, I take that apology back. That was intentionally well, ambiguous. If, right, but if if Ethan's uh, correct, um, John Quincy Adams was born in Massachusetts. But it wasn't Massachusetts because it was 1767. Hmm. I mean, you know right. what I mean? It wasn't the United <laughs> States. So, all righty. Well, moving <laughs> all, right along. All kinds of fun. Keep her moving. Hey. <laughs> no, good challenge for sure. Keep, keep them coming. Keep me on my toes. All righty. I think there were earlier presidents born within the geographical boundaries than even, even um, Quincy Adams. I think, yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah, I, I believe the way Ethan phrased it should have been the way the question had phrased. So, again, I do apologize for myself getting points, but you'll <laughs> take it. <laughs> Anyhow, all right, we got some music coming to you in three, two, one. Done. Oh. Don, go ahead. Every breath you take. By oh man, I just escaped me. I can see the guy's face. Oh, I'll help you, Don. Oh, the guy's help me. Uh, no, 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 don't help me. Don't help me. No, Jeremy, don't help him. Don't help him. Uh, you can have a shot at it because Jeremy's up next. Oh, why can't I figure it out? It's just one word. What's the name? Ah. Don's like, yeah, bring me the 80s. Just bring the 80s. And I'll get back into this. And I get into the 80s, and he's like, ah, oh, oh. oh, just blanking on his name. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. All right, you got three, two, one. Oh, this brings Jeremy, me as much joy as you taste. It's a every breath you take. Sting. Yes. <laughs> oh, Jeremy, I'd love to give it to you, but what? Did I get the wrong title for the wrong? <laughs> yes, you got, you got it all wrong, pal. Well, here I thought I was right on the money. Any other guesses on this one? <laughs> I'm second guessing the title. But I'm pretty sure I know the artist, but well, give it, give it a go, Ethan. I'll say, I'll say, um, every breath you take, the police. Oh man. You got half of it. You got half of it right. Oh, I know. In three, two, Brian. one. Go ahead, Ryan. <laughs> Every breath you take, uh, Liberace. <laughs> I'll take this. <laughs> All right, Ben. Last, last shot at it. I'll be watching you by Sting. Wow, man, I am doing well. I am doing well. Better. The correct title of the song is I'll Be Watching You, and it's by the police. Yeah. It's by the police? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before he went solo. 
before he went solo. Yeah, yeah. So, man, I boy, when Don said it, like, you know, at the Ryan level, like three milliseconds into the song, I was like, yes, we got it. <laughs> boy. All righty. So, all right, we've got uh, – so, again, that, that was kind of picked for uh, – it was actually kind of picked for Don in two ways. Number one, it was from the 80s, and number two, you know, just with, uh, you know, everybody's watching conservatives on uh, social media and stuff <laughs> like that, you know. That's why I kind of picked nice. that song. Nice. Uh, nice touch. Uh, here, here's, <laughs> here's maybe a little bit better perspective on how we should be uh, viewing viewing life in three, two, one. mentioned before in recent podcasts. Ryan. Ryan, go ahead. Sometimes he calms the storm, Scott Trevay. This is uh, this is the perspective we should have. Sometimes he calms a storm, but other times he calms his child. Do you see how fast Ryan went to go I put his it. points in on the Google Doc? Did you see that? He just went right to his computer. Oh, yeah. I got one. I got three. <laughs> <laughs> one for me, two for me. I, I I didn't move as quickly with Matt's points. Did you notice I that? I did notice that. You're like. Urgh. Yeah, Ryan and I split. We're in a dead heat tonight. <laughs> This episode, we're uh, we're tied up. Jeremy tied is the up. Jeremy is the sheet of integrity still by the nightstand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and did Scott uh, Trepain sing anything else besides that song? Oh yeah, he did. Yeah, that, that's one of his most famous for sure. But yeah, didn't he sing the "I'm Not Cool" and that's okay? That's a that's a banger. <laughs> might hear that one in future episodes too <laughs> no we talked about Kripain and I, I i think i mentioned i can't remember which episode it was but i said you'll you'll be hearing from him i already had this one kind of this one that song queued up because that was my it's my favorite song by him so yeah, all right it, well, it, it's a good song i'm not cool is my theme song so i i, I like i like hearing it <laughs> <laughs> that's good all right, well, that's uh, that's wrapping it up for uh, Six in the Mix Trivia. going to turn it uh, over to Ryan for calling your shot. Fantastic. So we are going to stay on the same theme. We had our 46th president inaugurated just a few days ago, uh, much to the surprise of some in our group. But uh, we are thinking presidentially here, and we'll, we'll do the same for calling your shot tonight. So uh, the challenge before all of us tonight is to name our favorite president who we have seen in our lifetime. So 
I, I suppose we could open it up to all 46 at some point, but I'm curious because you know we're all generally the same age, give or take four or five years, I suppose. But uh, we've we've primarily seen the same group of guys from President. Uh, well, I don't know, maybe maybe Don might have uh, an early memory of Jimmy Carter, maybe I don't know. Uh, but going back to Carter all the way through Biden now, so it, interesting to see where where we have some uh, agreement, where we have some differences. And uh, so curious to hear you guys' thoughts. I'll just start uh, bottom left of my screen. Jeremy, uh, who, do you, who do you pick for your favorite president and why? I, I gave some thought to this. Um, I think one of uh, George W. for me is um, my favorite, not necessarily because of all the things that he did, um, especially with the wars and other things that we were going through. But the thing that made him just, I don't know, he just made everything calm during that 9-11 attack. And I just remember his presence during that time was unmatched by any world leader. I mean, there was, or or leader in the U.S., there was nobody that could stand on top of our country and, and calm the nerves like he did. And I, I, I've always appreciated that about him. And I appreciated also just the the sense of uh, humbleness that he had by, you know, just seemed like he was a, one of the good old boys. You know, he would just come and throw baseball at the game and he would he would attend different things and, and try to put himself out there. And I, I also appreciated the presence of his uh, his wife, the first lady as well. She was always very becoming, uh, very humble. And it, it, so for me, it was George W., I don't know about you all. Maybe it'd be fun to get some feedback if, if the rest of you have a favorite memory of, of any of these other presidents. But uh, my favorite George Bush memory was you guys see him try to uh, quote that saying, fool me once, shame, shame on you. Fool me twice and you couldn't remember it. Well, well, you're not going to fool me again. Yeah. <laughs> that was SNL had so many things on him. It was great to watch. Oh uh, yeah, and he he could he could laugh at himself. Right. That yeah, was, that was great. That was that was a nice nice aspect of him. All well, right, Jer- thanks, Jeremy. Jeremy, you said you said something interesting there. You said said uh, the first lady Laura Laura Bush, right? She was very becoming. Did you have like a little crush on her or what? What? No, I, I didn't have a crush on her. I just thought she was extremely uh, extremely elegant in how she handled that position. I mean, there are some, I think that come in with a little bit more of a, a more prideful head and, and pomp and circumstance about it. But it was like, you know, this lady would bake cookies for you if, if she, you know, needed to, I, they, they were just, uh, to me, they just had that soft kind of attitude and atmosphere around them, but they also had the, the presidential valor that came with it. I, I don't know. It was just, just that's, I mean, I I guess I had a crush on her. If you want me to say the words, I I can say that, but not really. <laughs> that was for my wife, by the way. She'll listen to this and freak out. Oh, good to know. Good good inside scoop there. All right, Matt. How about how about you? Yeah, unfortunately, I wish I could provide some parody, but uh, I cannot. George W. was for me as well, and and for for the same reason, like nine eleven. Uh, was impactful, and I, and I and I believe I recant or recounted this story uh, when we shared uh, maybe favorite maybe concerts I'd been to, and, and again I was that during nine eleven I, I was traveling with acapella, and about a month after the attacks in October we were in Long Island, New York, and we had 
a and the guys had 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 uh, think they had done America the Beautiful. Uh, they were gonna they were singing that one, and so I made a slideshow for it, right? So as they're singing, there's certain slides come up, kind of remembering it, and it, it had been impactful. But we were in this large Catholic church, and one of the the at the culmination of the song, the slide that came up was actually George and his wife, and it, it the song got a standing ovation at that point, and that was the loudest applause I, I'd, I'd ever heard like it was thunderous and he had a, a great deal to do with that because he did he united and he rallied the country whether you were liberal or conservative uh, we were attacked as a country and he and he helped step us through and walk us through and he in my mind that uh, that was just incredible and, and the weight he had to feel in that moment um, in those days months years after that uh, just incredible. And uh, I just have a lot of respect for him. Thanks. When you mentioned the thunderous applause, was that in reference to the song or the fact that Bush flashed up on the screen? Yeah, it was when Bush and his wife was flashed up on the screen. Now, granted, it was at the culmination of the song, but that's when it reached you know fever pitch, as it were. Like it was, it was unbelievable. Uh, I'll never forget that moment. That, that was your greatest highlight traveling with the group? Boy, yeah, that 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 had to be with with everything. As far as a concert, the the, the night of nine eleven, we were in Duluth, Minnesota, and we had uh, they they turned they turned the concert into kind of like a prayer night. So there was some singing, but a lot of it was prayer because it was so fresh. That was a very powerful moment. But as far as music motivating and uniting a congregation, uh, an audience. Yeah, that uh, that Catholic church in Long Island, for me, I've never seen anything quite like it. Yeah, cool perspective. All right. Well, we have consensus building. So let's see what let's see what Ben does to that consensus. My favorite W memory was after they started playing baseball again in the World Series when he went out and threw the first pitch and he threw a laser strike on top of everything else, probably with his full bulletproof flak jacket on and everything. He ripped one in there. So I, I appreciated, I mean, he, the guy loves sports, right? He was a part owner in the Rangers before he became president. So that, that was cool. So I feel like I need to be true to my, um, everybody's favorite Democrat roots here. So I'm actually going to pick, um, president Obama and here's why I, I really don't agree with hardly anything of his policy, but just the trendsetter aspect of being the first African-American president of the United States is worth noting. I mean, it is, that that's, that's a really, I think, monumental thing. And I think the same will be true, whether it's, um, you know, Republican or Democrat, when we have our first female president, I think those are just monumental things that will you know, that'll go down in history. And, you know, I think every president has their pros and cons um, on policy. Some, you know, we, we probably believe in more than others, but just that, that one component of it is why I would um, pick um, President Obama during our lifetime. I'm going to be praying for Ben's salvation. (laughs) (laughs) The next couple of days, I'm ready to shoot myself. (laughs) That just happened. (sighs) Did you say President Obama? He, he did not let us down. He did oh not let us Lord. down. This is not happening. Come on. Is nobody going to say anything? 
No, Let's great go job. Go ahead, Don. Way to have your favorite president. Up. I'll say it. Okay. No, get it. Hey, Don, get on your white supremacist horse and let me have it. Oh, my word. The most corrupt president in the United States history? Are you kidding me? President Obama? <laughs> oh, you lit the powder cake, Ben. I'm guessing it's not Don's favorite president. Just a guess. He's just mad because you picked his, Ben. You picked yeah, his favorite. Exactly. I beat him to the punch. Just say now. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, man wow that's that's not that's that's good that that's we're calling our shot right now that's that's what it's all about so staying true to ourselves all right ethan i got you next on my screen wow um i don't know how to follow those but um i i think for me as i've been reflecting on this question coming into tonight I really only remember four presidents in, in my conscious memory and I, I have a hard time saying that one was more impactful if I don't remember them in my conscious memory. And so I think for me, one of the most significant things and, and Jeremy and Matt kind of both touched on it, but I think for me being in grad school, um, 3000 miles away from home and, um, watching nine 11 happen. And, and I just, the, the memory of president Bush reading to the kindergarten classroom and having somebody come and whisper in his ear that a plane had just hit the World Trade Center was one that I think will never fade from my memory. Uh, and watching him respond, I'm sure inside he was panicking, uh, but just watching him respond with just the 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 determination, the the confidence, um, you know, the the humility as you guys have mentioned, uh, but just walking in and it felt like in many ways that he was your neighbor um, who was walking with you and telling you a story about how things were going to be okay. Um, and, and just reassuring, I think the country and people. And, and so I, I just have a lot of respect for him for that. Um, certainly some things that didn't agree with, you know, as, as Ben mentioned, we're not going to agree with um, lots of things from every president at times. But um, but I appreciate that. I think that's probably the one that I have the most respect for in my lifetime, um, just because of the way that he handled that. And even just moving forward, providing inspiration, kind of a a level head and uh, and some direction for the country and for people who are really struggling and looking for some place to put their their hope. Um, And I think he demonstrated uh, what that looked like for him in his faith. Um, and uh, just in moving forward as a country. So I, I would say W. Bush. Wow. Okay. W is popular tonight. So three out of four so far have uh, gone with uh, George W. Bush. So Don, uh, I know you're uh, still releasing that steam from Ben's pick, but uh, what, what do you have? Well, as the uh, 80s hair band Cinderella once sang, don't know what you got till it's gone. I'm going to say Donald John Trump. Uh, this dude, come on. The guy was impeached twice by the people that hated him the most. What he did in his short four years, I, I think I don't think any I don't think you can match with any other president. I mean, some of the things he did withdrawing from the Iran nuclear deal, uh, the great the great deal that uh, Ben's favorite president apparently got us into. Um, (laughs) He he withdrew from the Paris Climate Accord. 
And he started Space Force. Come on, started Space Force. He's hired a whole other military uh, unit. How, how cool is that? A guy, guy. I mean, he did so many things for for uh, civil rights as far as black hit, black colleges. I mean, he gave more money to the permanent funding for black colleges than any other president in our history. Didn't get us into any wars. We were actually energy, energy independent. And uh, that's never happened before in our in a, in the United States history. Boy, I just think uh, he did so many great things. Yeah, he was a horrible communicator. I'll, I'll give you that. No doubt about it. I mean, God, yeah, the guy couldn't get off of Twitter. But, um, you know, I was I was thinking about who was my favorite president outside of that was not, you know, not in, our, in my lifetime. And I was going to go with Andrew Jackson just because the guy got into duels. He survived two duels. So, I mean, I think, I think we should bring back the duels. And I was like, Donald Trump would be definitely that guy who would step in and do a duel with somebody. Let's go, you know. So, uh, so Sle- Sleepy Joe, Sleepy Joe would take him out in a heartbeat. <laughs> in high school, he'd beat anybody up. Yep. He'd take him out back. And so, yeah, I'm going to say Donald J. Trump. Hands down. There's no question. Wow. Okay. I was so curious to see how many how many of you guys were going to say Trump just because he has been a force of nature and he is the most recent, right? I mean, outside of the inauguration this past week of a new president, he is the freshest on our minds and he, he has done a lot, no doubt about it. I, I did have to give him some consideration, um, but ultimately, uh, Don, I'm going to go with uh, number 40. Uh, Ronald Wilson Reagan. And I think if you look at it from a conservative point of view, uh, Trump did do a lot for, for conservative causes, but but Ronald Reagan was the forerunner. And where Trump fell flat on his face in terms of demeanor and communication, Reagan soared. He was called the great communicator. And for a president to be able to, I don't know about you guys, because I know outside of Don, I'm the oldest of the group, but I know for a little kid, I, I was captivated when he'd come on the screen and give a, give an address to the nation. I was I was captivated. I mean, uh, there was a sense of reverence and awe, and it wasn't just me. I mean, he he knocked Carter out of office in 1980, and then when he ran for reelection in '84, he won every state except Minnesota. I mean, that's just that's unheard of in, in the recent era. And so, if, if we could have somebody who showed what he believed in, uh, won people over to the argument, and did things from a pro-life, pro-family, morality set uh, mindset. Man, that would be great. What a, what a refreshing thing that would be. Jeremy, you were talking earlier about, you know, what speaking of abortion, it'd be great if our country could recognize the morality of it and overwhelmingly agree this is wrong. And uh, he, he, was, he was a great force uh, in, in helping our country start taking steps to this great evil that was that was made into a law back in 1973 with Roe v. Wade. So I I love I love Reagan. Uh, I, I love his story. He he used to be a Democrat. Of course, he was an actor, and uh, he stepped into office. He he could he could win an argument uh, just with a, a wink and a, and a grin. And of course, he uh, helped the Soviet Union to crumble. Um, help the wall to come down. And uh, I just have so many great memories and so much respect for him. I, I would actually rank him in the top three of president, all presidents of all time. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised none of you guys mentioned him, but at the same time, uh, I think your, your picks are, are noble from, from what you're looking for in a president. So, all right. Fantastic. That was, that was interesting conversation. So let's, uh, let's turn it over to Ben for feel good story of the week. 
All right. Feel good story of the week. So um, th- this story comes out of uh, Belleville, Wisconsin. So Dane County area. Uh, actually, this young lady was she was on the uh, inauguration celebration evening, too. But she's an eight year old and she was looking to try to raise some money to help uh, fight those who are facing hunger in Dane County. She Her goal originally was to raise $90 as what she was going to try to do with the lemonade stand. And over the course of the spring and summer, uh, she wasn't able to do the physical lemonade stand. So she just did a virtual one where she would give coupons for a future lemonade once uh, the COVID restrictions were lifted. But she raised uh, $53,000 um, with selling virtual lemonade as a eight-year-old. So obviously blew away her $90 goal, but uh, just a cool thing. I'm always impressed by these young people who uh, see something going on in their community and they decide they're going to do something about it. And so she did. And obviously a lot of other adults think that's a pretty cool thing too. So they will put some money behind it. And that was a lot of money she was able to raise and, and give to some nonprofits in the in the Wisconsin area that she's from. So um, yeah, a little eight-year-old named Morgan would be my feel-good story of the week for this week. Uh, That's fantastic. Appreciate you sharing that with us. Good job, Morgan. Uh, As we move into Fix Your Eyes, we're going to continue sharing thoughts on sanctification. We're going to be moving from head to heart, from what one must know, head knowledge, to what they must believe, heart knowledge, in order to live a Christ-honoring life. Knowledge alone puffs up and is not sufficient for a mere mortal to please the eternal God. Even the demons have a knowledge of God and tremble, but it doesn't connect with their heart and soul. So what personal example would you guys share or spiritual counsel would you give to someone who who wants to truly understand how to live a Christ-honoring life? Not just what they need to know, but what do they need to believe? How have you moved from head knowledge of spiritual truth to heart knowledge of spiritual truth in your life, and so we're just going to start off with uh, with Ryan. Yeah, thanks, Matt. This is uh, this this is interesting. I mean, it's it's so important for us to take what we know to be right, and then to apply it to make it part of our lives. And just reflecting on what we talked about in the previous podcast, when we were talking about um, what constitutes as what advice would you give a, a Christian uh, to say, hey you need to do this to, to glorify God. This would be what a Christian life should look like, a successful Christian life. And one of the things I shared was, uh, to me, a successful Christian life takes the focus off you, it glorifies God, all right? So God looks bigger because of your life, and then you're also serving others. So it's, 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 it's a draining of self like Christ did in his kenosis um, described in Philippians 2. So for me, I think how, how this hits home to me and one of the struggles I've, I've had as I think about this head knowledge into how it fleshes out into my life is um, in, in the area of giving. So um, I, I suppose you could make a parallel and say those people who are self-absorbed, they will take whatever they've been given and, you know, focus it on themselves. And um, I've, I've just become more aware it's it's not always been a strength for me to to give freely because i grew up in a, in a poor home i've never had a, a lot of excess money you might say 
And yet it, there's no there's no point in scripture that says it doesn't matter if you're considered rich or poor. We know there was a widow in the New Testament who was praised by Christ for giving what she had, all of what she had. So it really doesn't matter what your your income status is. You, you are to give. And, and that's something I, I'm working on. I'm trying to improve at giving. I think that goes back to how I see a successful Christian life, one that is looking outward at others and trying to glorify God at the same time. And so for me, that's been a, a big challenge and, and an area I'm focusing on because I'll be honest with you, this this year we, we have in a pandemic and maybe some of you fall into the same camp, but the, the government has given out extra money at times this year. And so uh, I am like, well, <laughs> I want to, I want to look at what I can do with this, right? Not just, not just absorb it into whatever I want to spend on myself, but I want to look at ways I can, I can help others out uh, with, with that extra money. And the, the great thing about giving is, um, the Lord says, given it shall be given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. So there's a, there's almost an exponent. We talk about the exponential growth of uh, COVID at times, right? But I understand that passage to say, if you give, you, you're going to see a great blessing poured back into your life at the same time. And even Christmas this year, I... I think back to our childhoods, and we talked about this on a previous podcast. Like, man, it was cool to open up gifts, right? You're waiting around. Man, a Nintendo, man, what a great gift that was. But I really, probably for the first time in my life, I was more interested in watching others um, enjoy what they received in in terms of thinking, oh, what what am I getting this year? Um, and I, I guess I want that to permeate my life all year round. And so I guess that's one area I'm trying to go from head knowledge. And it's tough as, is, is to give away and you feel like, oh, you're losing uh, net worth or you might need that money for some emergency coming up. Um, I, I'm really trying to focus in on doing that. Yeah, no, that's great. Appreciate your your thoughts on giving. And I know all of us guys are grateful because uh, for those listeners, uh, Ryan sent to all of us in the podcast, I think some chocolate, peanut butter, crispy goose for Christmas time. And they were they were certainly marvelous. So your giving spirit is much appreciated, my friend. All right, moving on. Jeremy. For me, I've, I've, I've really thought about this. And to be honest with you, Ben, I, I've struggled with this because taking it from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge really is a daily battle for me. And I struggle with that because there are some days where I allow myself and the things I want to do to have more preeminence than Christ. And I, being just completely transparent, even though I'm in ministry and uh, people look to me for spiritual guidance and I teach and preach and uh, have involvement with kids all the time, uh, particularly, I'm no different than anybody else. I struggle every day to, to wrap my head around the fact that God has given me and gifted me a salvation. And what do I do with that? So, I often run to a few passages, but particularly, I love um, I love the 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 book of Ephesians, and I always have, and I don't know why, but I just I just have I've always enjoyed that book. But particularly in in chapter two, where he says, you know, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. I mean, he basically lays this out and says, this is who you are, aliens. 
you, you're, you're foreigners from God. Um, you have no belonging, no standing with him. And then it says in, I think it's verse eight where it says, but, but God who is rich in mercy, uh, loved us. And in fast forward to chapter four and five, he says, okay, um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to ask you to walk worthy. So for me to answer this question, to take it from a head knowledge and and something that I, I want to demonstrate by my belief, I think belief is always tied to, um, or it should be tied to, obedience. And so for me, I just have to get out and do it. I have to, I have to flush that out somehow. Because if I find myself doing that and and in tune with God's spirit and and the fruit that is coming out of me. Uh, kind of like Ryan was saying, but not necessarily always in giving, but but maybe just giving of myself to some something else or somebody else, so that they would be edified. That's my daily struggle. That's that's uh, every day I struggle with that. And there's there are more days than not that I just do not want to do it. I come into my office and go, "What kid really wants to hear this from me? Who? <laughs> what ears are they going to have on?" And and I look at them with their hoods up and their masks on, and I see about this much of their eyes now in class. And so you know who. Really, but I do know this: that teachers made an impact on me. Pastors who probably I don't even remember, but their words made an impact on me somehow, somewhere, some, some, somehow they stuck. And so, I guess for me, it's just I've I've got to get out and I got to do the work. I got to obey. I got to do these things, and I need to walk worthy because I'm called uh, to be a Christian. I am called to Christ, and so therefore, I'm going to do that. So that's how I'd answer that. No, appreciate that, Jeremy. Thank you for uh, thank you for sharing, and again, thank you for your you know obviously service as a pastor and uh, in education. That uh, that's fantastic, and I know you're making a big difference in their lives. So, uh, Ethan, yeah, thanks, uh, Matt, for the topic. And um, I think for me, one of the biggest ways that I would answer this uh, in in an area of growth in my life, I'm going to try and frame this in terms of a personal um, journey and also practical experience. And so I think for me, one of the biggest areas of growth is recognizing, especially as we look at the New Testament, one of the things that Jesus spoke to significantly was the heart of man. And he addressed the Pharisees in not so kind terms over and over again, calling them uh, whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones and other such not so nice imagery. And the reality is they had it all together on the outside. Um, And ultimately, you know, Jesus was and God is ultimately concerned with our hearts, not just the outward appearance. Um, And so I agree that, that we do need to obey God's commands because they're for our good. But I think one of the biggest challenges for me has been, especially in the last six, seven, eight years of my life, is what do I do when my heart doesn't want to do what's right? What do I do when my heart longs to do something that it shouldn't, that it knows is wrong, that intellectually I know scripture speaks to as sin or wrong or, you know, whatever. But what do I do in that moment? How do I handle that? And, and what does it look like to pursue holiness in my relationship with God? And so the passage that really helped trigger this um, for me was Colossians chapter three, and I'm not going to read it, but um, the first verse I think starts it off well. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ, 
comma, and it gives us really three commands. The first one is seek the things that are above um, or set your minds on things that are above. Later on, it talks about how we should put to death what is earthly and sinful in us. Um, And towards the end of the passage, it talks about putting on Christ, putting on his goodness. And so I think part of the struggle for me a few years ago, a number of years ago, was just to think, how do I do that? Like, how do I put on Christ? How do I, how can I put to death the sin that's in my heart? And so um, a few years ago, I'm going to share a practical example of what this has been, what has been helpful for me. And the imagery that I'll use that was used with me was the imagery of a tree. And when we think of a tree, we think of maybe insert your favorite, a big, beautiful apple tree full of, of, of ripe fruit ready to be eaten. And the reality is our lives, um, often we spend a lot of time in our Christian lives focused on the fruit. Um, we focus on the fruit of not lying, um, not cheating, not doing this, this, and this, or on the other extreme, doing good things, giving money or you know whatever, all the things that we are called to do, that God's called us to do, that we're called to obey. But the reality is, oftentimes, the, the outward actions don't reflect our heart. Um, and so the imagery that has been and continues to be a regular helpful occurrence for me is to, is to recognize in the moment when, um, so for example, for me, um, uh, I, it, growing up, this wasn't an issue, but as an adult, I've really wrestled with um, fear and anxiety in some really significant ways. Um, even to the point seven years ago, actually having an anxiety attack that was so significant that I couldn't breathe and and couldn't sleep one night, um, which is so out of the ordinary for me um, growing up before that. And one of the things that that I've had to learn how to do is to be able to take my actions, uh, the fruit of my life, and not just say, God, help me not to be anxious. I don't want to be anxious. Ethan, stop being anxious. Stop being angry. Um, stop being X, Y, Z, insert whatever actions. Not that I shouldn't, I should, I should tell myself those things and I should strive to do what's right, but I can't only be focused there. And so part of what that process has begun to look for me and what I've learned, and I didn't come up with this analogy, but, but in the moment, as I'm recognizing sin in my life, or I'm recognizing my heart, not wanting to do what's right, I can begin to probe deeper and go down the the trunk of the tree and begin to unpack, God, what is it in my life? What am I believing about myself that is leading me to respond in this way, um, in this sinful way, whether it's omission or commission? God, what am I believing about myself that's not true? Um, And so maybe it's that I'm believing that I have to have security in order for my life to have meaning and purpose, whatever it is. But as I begin to think and unpack that, I can trace the roots down to God. What am I believing about you that's not true, that leads me to believe something about myself that's not true, and then be able to get to the root of it and to be able to say, God, there's the root of my heart. The anger, the fear, the anxiety, those are things that are coming out of and are, are, are fruit that are coming out of the tree of what I'm choosing to believe. Um, and so then I can begin to be able to address in prayer, using scripture, um, inviting other people into that journey with me to be able to say, God, would you refine my heart? Would you help me to put to death the sin that's there in my heart? Uh, and the sin could be doubt of who God is and all the other things that we could insert. Um, but ultimately then begin to replace that with truth from scripture of saying, God, yes, I'm beginning to act in this way. I'm feeling this temptation. 
Help me to go back to my heart and, and reflect on what I'm choosing to believe about you. Help me to believe what's true about you. Help me to believe what's true about me and change my heart. And that's concurrent with choosing to do what's right in the best of my ability while depending on God. And so for me, growing in my maturity and my depth with, with Christ is not just doing better at doing the right things, but it's opening up my heart to say, God, what do you want to teach? How do you want to transform my heart so that my heart becomes more like Jesus and less like me, more like who I, who you've created me to be as a new creation in Christ. Um, and to be able to experience that journey by becoming aware and applying truth um, to my life. And so that's, that's a little bit of what it looks like for me to, to put to death and to put on Christ out of Colossians 3. Yeah, thanks, Ethan. That was that was really good. What's the root of the sin or the unbelief? Uh, that's great. Good turn over to Don. Well, building on my uh, what I was uh, mentioned last time um, from John one fourteen, um, we have uh, the word says uh, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I think God. This has really been something that's been working in my life in the in, in this past year. And um, really something that as, as we talk about sanctification um, and, and what it means, I think that, you know, as Christians, we're called to, to live out our lives as Jesus Christ would. And I think in John 1.14, um, it really zeroes in on, on, on this, this idea of living uh, a life full of grace and truth. And if we dive a little deeper into it, it, it's, you know, we're called to live and love with grace and truth. So what does that really mean? Well, it's interesting because you can't have one without the other. Um, if you live truth, if you live out truth without grace, well, that's going to lead to rebellion. We've all, we've all seen that um, in our circles. We see, we see it with uh, legalism uh, growing up, whether living in it or living uh, seeing others live through it, you know, we saw the the pastors' kids always. They were always the rebellious ones, right? They they had they had a house full of truth, but not much grace, so it led to rebellion. Um, then you also see uh, grace without truth then leads to a world with uh, with no rules, it, a, a relativism, and um, there's no absolute truth. And so, if we can can if I can combine those two things, truth and grace, if I can live that out as just as Jesus Christ did when he came to this earth, because it says he came full of grace and truth, not, you know, came with a little bit of grace and a whole, whole lot of truth or, or vice versa. He says full of grace and truth. Then I think, you know, if we can, if I can strive for that, then, then um, that's where my kids will be able to see that and, and hopefully mirror that someday as well. Yeah, no, that's good. Thanks for taking us deeper in, uh, into John one fourteen. Uh, Truth and grace working together. Good. Ben? Well, I maybe have just a little different take on this question, and so hopefully you guys will bear with me here for a minute. But I know uh, one of the verses I, I talked about last time was uh, in Psalm 119, where it talks about hiding God's word in our heart that we we won't sin against him. You know, another verse in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So how do we take, you know, the, the verses, all the you know, memorization that we've done, those kind of things from just being a head knowledge to a heart knowledge. And so I, I was thinking more about that. And um, 
you know, another thing that came to me, and I think I've even mentioned this quote on the, the podcast before, but um, C.S. Lewis uh, said that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And I know for me personally, um, when I've gone through difficulty or pain or trials, those have been the times when I can really, you know, when I really hear God speaking to me, when he can really get a hold of me, when I, when I feel him for real are in those times. And so for me, one example of that would be, right, so the, the, the verse says, uh, all things work together for good to those who love God, right? So what does that mean? How does that go from head knowledge to heart belief? And so, you know, without trying to get, you know, a dark here or whatever, when my when my my brother passed away a few years ago, right? So what is possibly all things work together for good in that moment? You know, what 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 went on? Well, here's one component of that 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 was that that I experienced was that at his uh, memorial service, we had several neighbors attend uh, that grew up in our cul-de-sac um, with my parents and my family. And a few of them made, uh, they, they came there uh, to the memorial service and made professions of faith at that memorial service. And my brother, uh, who was on last time too, he spoke and, and um, they talked to him more afterwards and, and they couldn't really wrap their heads around how are we having this style of memorial service for my brother, usually when a person, you know, dies in their early 30s. I mean, that's nothing but tragedy. There's nothing redeeming about that at all, right? But if, if a person has made that profession of faith and truly believes that Jesus came to this world to save them and they claim that as their own, then they do have a future in heaven, right? So there is some good that can come of that. And so that's part of it, but just that the way it was, what we that was able to be shared with people that we've tried to make connection with for years, or in my parents' case, even decades, you know, it, it took that moment for them to really make that decision. So, you know, those are the times for me in my life when those difficult circumstances have come about that God is, is real the most real to me. And I can really feel him. You know, it talks about the peace that passes all understanding that happened during that time in my life. Like I shouldn't be feeling peaceful right now in this sort of tragedy, but, but we did. And, um, so, you know, it's a little, a little different spin I'll admit, but that that's one way it comes home to me is that, you know, and, and, you know, we talked about, what advice would we give to a person? Obviously, I would never give anyone advice or hope that they would go through hardship, right? We don't want that. But I know for me personally, I I can struggle with being complacent. I can struggle with some of those things just kind of being, you know, hands off or just kind of coast. And there's some times where God has to kind of turn up the volume on the megaphone and say, hey, listen here, you know, I want more for you. And this is how I need to get your attention. And so following those situations, I know that my wife and I, we we pray, please, God, those lessons that you taught me during this hardship, don't let me forget about them. Don't let them become less important. The, those, those things that you've really brought to our attention, help us to really hold on to those and keep that change and move forward in that new direction or refined direction as you refine me, help me to hold on to that and not just let it fade off into the memory, but be something that I can continue to 
learn from and, and grow from as time goes on. So that would be my thoughts. No, that's good. You know, pain drives us to Christ. And uh, I think I think you touched on it. Uh, you, you kind of bringing, you know, Jill into the you know, this thought, too. You guys have been praying together. And I think for, for sure, undoubtedly, uh, for all of us, like our wives at probably many points in the journey has has helped correct us or get us back on track or encouraged us. And, um, you know, a godly wife uh, that loves Jesus is is really important. As I've thought about this one, this this has really honestly been a wrestle for me. And I think kind of coming to bear in just this last year, 2020 was a a very difficult year for me. And I think it was mainly not so much the pandemic, though that brought a, a lot of challenges at work and such, but it, it it was it was a challenging year uh for me in the fact that as I tend to I tend to like kind of isolation. You'll be by myself. You know, I can hang out with, like I said, you guys or or other people or or do my thing at work. But uh, you know, when when things are tough or when things aren't going well, I tend to withdraw and isolate. And so this one has been tough tough for me because head knowledge it's there. Like I I feel like you know for the most part could teach a Sunday school lesson or, or preach and on pretty short notice. But the challenge of it moving down to the heart to where it encapsulates and it's my passion and my vigor to consistently walk out the Christian life has been has, has been a really wrestle. And I think this last year has been a pretty barren time uh, for me to the point right, you know, right now I'm going to counseling to kind of talk through that and even try to understand that for myself. And so for me, you know, what do you need to believe or how do you move from head to heart? I think I think it comes back to, to to us thinking about you know you know what's true and for me the 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 fact that we're dead in Christ and the fact that we've got the resurrection power available to us every day is headwise where I, I I know it's right I just I'm really wrestling with how to get that to live out consistently day to day because when the when that when when life swings up and when it swings down when it when when there's big time challenges, that's where I really wrestle. When things are good, I'm good. When things are tough, I tend to withdraw and isolate and and not be the husband, not be the father, uh, not be the man that I need to be. And so again, this you know this whole topic is kind of born out of a desire in my heart to to better understand it and to really try to you know again through your guys' godly example and hopefully us talking through it that over the course of these episodes this will this will spur. Hopefully not just myself. I think you guys, hopefully as well, and others. But for me, it's a it's a, it's a big challenge to go to go to the heart. I I'm definitely more a head guy than a heart guy when it comes to this, and that's not that that's not what's that that's not what God calls us to be. You know, He calls us to be uh, He calls us to be true, true in our hearts, true, true when when no one's looking. Um, and I think that 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 can only happen through His His power. You know, us us dying, us living, you know, trusting in his resurrection power. So, yeah, some really great thoughts, guys. I, again, I've taken some short notes on this and, you know, I, I look forward. I've got some ideas on where we're going to go in future episodes. But uh, that's going to that's going to wrap it up for Fix Your Eyes. And, and really, that's a wrap on episode 22 on this, the 24th day of January, year of our Lord, 2021. This was Six in the Mix, talking faith, family, sports and politics. Find our episodes on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. 
review us and leave a comment. Visit our Facebook page at Six in the Mix Podcast and comment on what topics you'd like us to discuss. We are also on Twitter at Six in the Mix Pod. Join us on our journey.